Welcome to Season 2 of Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. In Season 1 of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing. Now, here in Season 2, we dive deeper into the grain marketing concepts that we talked about in Season 1. So if you haven't listened to that, we'd invite you to start there. Now, wouldn't it be nice to know exactly when you need to sell your grain? Well, when you create your grain marketing plan, you'll need to focus on different benchmarks that will help you determine when to market your grain. Those benchmarks will be different for pre-harvest and post-harvest marketing. We continue part two of our conversation with Luke Beckman. He's a grain sales manager with Central Valley Ag Cooperative. Today, we're exploring strategies and benchmarks for post-harvest marketing. Obviously, by definition, if you know, post-harvest, this means you're pricing bushels during or after the combine uh, has rolled. What is the mindset with a post-harvest marketing plan? What should your goals be? How do you go about attacking it at that point, Luke? Sure. Well, let's talk about let's talk about the extreme end of the, the spectrum, and let's talk about a producer who hasn't marketed anything yet. Let's say they're zero percent sold, and the combine just just rolled across the field. The steps are going to be pretty similar. A lot of the variables are known at that point, though, just like they would be in a pre-harvest plan. But in this case, you should have an idea of all the costs associated with growing that crop and harvesting it. And now you know what your yield is. So the post-harvest marketer is going to know a break-even as well. They know what that is. This is why this is where it gets a little trickier depending on the cash flow situation, that's probably going to dictate when that producer needs to start making some decisions. Uh, this is why I'm personally an advocate of pre-harvest marketing, because if the market's not in your favor and you need cash and you're strictly a post-harvest marketer, you could be put in a situation you don't want to be in. And that is, I need money, but the market's depressed. I'm forced to sell anyway. Uh, and that doesn't take into account, there are you know government commodity loans that producers can take out uh, those types of things to generate cash while keeping their marketing open. There's also some marketing tools that producers can use through, you know, their grain companies or their brokers that they work with where you can sell cash and keep your price open. But the, the process chat at that point is going to be similar. They know what they know what it costs. They know the cost associated with growing that bushel. And their goal at that point needs to be selling above that number. That's hey. the key part. Uh, seasonally, their best opportunities for that old crop grain that they've harvested and put in the bin is going to come the next spring. So let's, uh, you mentioned the tools. Uh, are, are the tools similar? Does the toolbox kind of look the same if you want to price bushels after you've harvested them? That's a great question. Uh, they can be. I wouldn't say any one tool is super exclusive to one or the other, but the value of being a hedger, we talked about hedging with pre-harvest marketing, isn't going to exist quite as much with the post-harvest seller. That has a lot to do with how the cash market is structured. We've seen it in the Nebraska footprint or the Western Corn Belt, and it's probably the, it's really this way across the U.S. There's really good domestic demand in the United States. We consume a lot of grain right here in our footprint. Um, take Nebraska, for example. Uh, there's a lot of livestock, a lot of, a lot of mouths to feed in our state, uh, and you've got a lot of processing demand You know, between soybean processors, and ethanol plants. And so what we tend to see, unless the crop is really large, is the cash market generally doesn't offer producers a huge incentive to carry grain to a later date. They typically want it right now. And that's because there's so much demand that needs to be satisfied today 
not tomorrow. I'm more concerned about filling my needs today. I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And so what I'm trying to articulate here is that the post-harvest marketer cash sales in the spot market are going to tend to dominate in terms of the tools that that producer uses because that's the best cash price that they see when they go look at a bid sheet. The end user is not going to tell you, yeah, I do need bushels today to secure my grind, but I'm going to give you an incentive to store it until next summer. That's not going to happen. They're going to give you one of their best bids up front. And so cash sales tend to be the tool of choice uh, for the post-harvest seller. You'll also see producers engage in basis contracts. Uh, so go back to that cash equation. Cash is futures plus basis. If they are in a position, again, uh, where they need to move bushels, maybe to core bins to keep the grain quality in check on the farm, maybe they'll, maybe they'll uh, use a basis contract. So that allows them to deliver the grain to you know, a grain elevator or a destination and they can keep their futures price open. So they've delivered the grain. Maybe they can get a cash advance on those bushels after they've delivered it. Uh, but their futures price in that cash equation would be open. So those would be the two most common contract types that we would see producers or the two most common tools that producers use uh, in a post-harvest marketing plan is cash sales and basis contracts. And, and you kind of uh, answered my next question because, you know, we know there are there's more than one futures contract for a crop year, right? Uh, there's the new crop and then there's a bunch of deferreds after that. So what part do the futures play in post-harvest marketing, if any, Luke? Well, a future <laughs> futures are where the producers get paid. You know, uh, it's kind of a so a conversation we have on the grain side of things. Sometimes producers get so, so focused on basis that we forget that the futures price is much more volatile and a bigger determining factor in what you're going to get paid at the end of the day. So don't, don't step over, you know, don't stop, step over uh, dollars to pick up nickels, you know, that kind of a conversation. But yeah, the futures markets uh, are going to impact a post-harvest marketing plan based on how uh, the futures trade in relation to one another. And that gets into a conversation about spreads uh, and that can get a little bit complex, but to keep it simple, if you go look at, go look at futures prices on a, on a website and you're going to see corn, for example, you're going to see December, which is typically your new crop month. And you'll see March, May, July, and September. That's your grain marketing year for corn. If those futures prices show December as being a higher price than March, which is a higher price than May, which is a higher price than July, that market's inverted. It's not giving you any, any incentive to store that crop. That's a market that's telling you that it wants your grain today, not tomorrow. And so that tends to be associated with higher commodity prices. You see that we have higher commodity prices because lower supply, higher demand relative to one another. That might be a situation where it it makes more sense to move grain early uh, as a producer in, in a post-harvest marketing plan situation. Uh, the opposite of that is if you see December futures prices at a discount to corn prices for the next summer. So July, for example, if July is at a premium to December, that market's telling you that, hey, there's an incentive to carry that crop. Maybe you need to keep something on farm storage because there's going to be a better price later down the road. So those, how they trade in relation to one another, the cash market's trying to tell you a story. They're trying to tell you uh, the situation out, out, uh, out in the country as far as how supply and demand are, are engaging one another for your end users.
And just as kind of an aside too, is there a kind of a rule of thumb? How much premium does there be? How much, uh, how much carry do you have to have in order to make it worthwhile to hold the grain out until March or, or July or something like that? Sure. Uh, it's, if you're a classic hedger, uh, you, you want the deferred months to cover what we call the cost of carry. Uh, what it's going to cost you to hold that grain on the farm. The biggest component of that is your opportunity cost interest. So if you're, you know, go back to that producer that's young and is leveraged. If they're borrowing money at the bank to operate their farm, there's an opportunity cost to keeping grain in on-farm storage as opposed to turning it, delivering it and turning it into cash today. So the simplest way to do this is take, take your market rate of interest. What do you want to use today, Chad, for an interest rate in our example? I don't know what's a good what's a good place to start six <laughs> percent all right let's use let's use six percent and what what's our commodity price what do you want to use for a commodity price if we're doing corn let's say it's uh 650. okay so spot market price for corn today is 650 our interest rate at the bank on the money that we're borrowing is six percent so six percent times 650 is 39 cents per bushel so over a year's time that's the cost of interest on $6.50 corn, 39 cents divided by 12 months. So your opportunity cost to hold grain on farm, and this is a real cost, and farmers sometimes don't think about this, but it it is costing you three and a quarter cents per bushel per month to keep corn on the farm if you've got a loan to pay at the bank. That's your opportunity cost. And so you you want to have enough carry in the futures market. And basis is the other component of whether it makes sense to carry grain on farm or not. Basis tends to get better throughout the year in a carry market environment in an inverse, you know, the market's probably gonna want that, that grain earlier and there's no incentive to carry it. But you want the, the premium in your deferred futures months to be enough to cover that cost of interest is, is the easiest way to think about it. And so if you're looking at December versus March futures, and this is a legit three and a quarter cent cost. Well, the difference between Dece and March is three months uh, to get it to, you know, February, let's say. So three months at three and a quarter, you know, it's going to cost you just short of 10 cents a bushel to get it to carry it that far. So you want March futures to be at a dime premium to December. And if it's not, then you're actually losing money by holding that grain on farm unless basis gets, um, a lot stronger three months from now to kind of make up for the difference. Yep. And that's possible. But like we've said before, it's all important to have those numbers ahead of time so that when the basis does move and when the futures do move, because we know they're going to, you have that number already and you're able to react to it then, right? Make a decision. Correct. You know, very, there's all those variables and it gets back to the tools. You know, the two different schools of thought that we're kind of dissecting here is pre-harvest marketing versus post-harvest marketing. And, you know, if you've got some of those pre-harvest sales on the books, some of the question marks are, you know, just don't exist. You, you just put yourself in a position to be a little bit more uh, proactive in terms of, of moving grain when you want to move it rather than, you know, moving grain because you need cash. And then the final question on the post-harvest plan. Again, how do you kind of, uh, is it somewhat subjective? Again, you know, measuring the success of a post-harvest plan, is it whether you have grain in the bins yet and, and combines need to roll or how do you define that? I, I would answer that, Chad, the same way we did on the pre-harvest side of things. And it's going to be subjective depending on the producer. Um, but I think I think the ultimate scorecard at the end of the day is whether you were profitable or not. I mean, that that's the that's going to be the key. 
that post-harvest marketing plan, the extreme example where none of it's sold until the combine rolls. I mean, ultimately, you just want to know, did I make money, you know, on that crop or not? And um, that's not what your Schedule F says in a cash accounting system. You need to you need to go back to the budget and say, did the did the inputs I purchased to grow the crop that I sold, did I sell that crop for more than what I spent on it? I mean, that's that's what's going to determine that success. And so uh, same thing for the post-harvest marketer. That's the ultimate scorecard. And like we mentioned earlier, if that's your method, you know, I'm not saying you have to change because if you've been doing it for a long time, you've been successful doing it. Consistency is the key uh, and not flip-flopping back and forth between the two methods each year. The things that we've talked about, some of these concepts are pretty deep, especially if you're beginning. Even seasoned guys, I think, would have questions uh, on occasion. Who should be a part of a farmer's brain trust in order to kind of work through some of these things, do you think? That's a great question, and I, I'm glad you asked, Chad. I, I would encourage producers to have people in your corner. Uh, and there's a lot of people, a lot of people that can help you. I think it's important to have a good crop insurance agent as part of your grain marketing plan. Uh, inevitably, you get into a situation where you get hailed out or you have extreme drought. You know, we have producers that panic and, you know, they may want to buy out of grain contracts. But understanding your policy is an important part of what you can and can't do in grain marketing or what you should and shouldn't do in grain marketing. Uh, so you're going to want a good crop insurance agent. You're wanting you're going to want a good lender um, who understands um, your cash flow requirements because that ties into grain marketing, as we've talked about today. So a good crop insurance agent, good lender. Uh, and then on the grain marketing side, you certainly need some sort of an advisor. Uh, and that can be a paid for type service or uh, there's plenty of people. Our team is is an example of that uh, where it's unpaid. And those producers uh, have have access to our team of individuals who's immersed in the cash market every day and understands that really well. Uh, so you need somebody in the grain uh, grain industry that you're close with because they're they're attuned to that. We're watching those types of things all day, every day, and uh, can give producers advice on, hey, you need to think about rolling those hedges because it's offering enough carry to cover your costs of, of interest. Or, hey, basis is really strong right now. We should think about, um, you know, selling some cash or, or establishing basis on some hedges, those types of things. So they're watching those. Uh, so those three individuals are pretty important in piecing together a grain marketing plan and setting yourself up for success. Just final thoughts here. Now, kind of wrap it up, Luke. Uh, is there something that we haven't talked about related to pre-harvest and post-harvest marketing, something that we haven't covered that you think is an important part of this discussion to this point? We didn't talk. Uh, we mentioned it briefly, but your on-farm storage situation is going to be a key part of, of how you set your grain marketing plan up. Um, if you're in a situation where you can store a pretty good chunk of your crop, you know, you might be in a position where you don't have to be as aggressive uh, with pre-harvest sales. But if you're if your storage deficit and you've got to move bushels at harvest, we certainly want you to be planning because you don't want to be in a situation where we get into harvest and the market is just not performing well. Uh, and you just get into a situation where you don't have a lot of options. So, uh, again, do things on your terms, <laughs> sell your crops uh, at prices that are attractive when you can and don't sell crops when you have to because you need money. Uh, so being proactive pays in grain marketing. Maybe not every year. Some producers, you know, the best thing you could have done is do nothing. And that can be rewarded from time to time. But I think over the course of time, um, having a plan and putting that plan 
into motion uh, is going to pay off over the course of time. The biggest thing I could say about what creates success in grain marketing is knowing what it's going to cost to raise the crop. You mentioned Ed Usset before. He was on with us in season one. He made a comment, you know, the, the market sometimes rewards you for doing nothing, but that happens, what, once every eight or once every 10 years or something like that. You really have to ask yourself, do you have the intestinal fortitude and the resources to get between those eight years to keep farming? So bottom line, that's what it comes down to why it's important to have a marketing plan, right? It is. And, it's, you know, you just painted that picture. I think, again, leverage plays a big part in what you can afford to do and what you can't afford to do in grain marketing. Uh, so it's it's kind of like Moneyball. You know, if you're familiar with the movie Moneyball. We all understand what the problem is. We have to okay, replace. Okay, good. What's the problem? The problem is we have to replace three key players in our nope. lineup. What's the problem? Same as it's ever been. We've got to replace these guys with what we have existing. No. Nope. What's the problem, Barry? We need... 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 47 doubles to replace. The problem we're trying to solve is that there are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. It's an unfair game. Billy Bean, you know, focusing on the statistics and the, and the probabilities. What's the data tell you? And uh, Ed, Ed does a nice job with that and kind of distilling through that to tell you what history tells you in grain marketing. And that gets back to those seasonals that we talked about, you know, April, May, June, really good time to be a seller, both for the post-harvest seller and the pre-harvest seller. Great times to be selling both uh, for those producers. If you can be Webster's dictionary and define some marketing terms that we talked about, okay? Ready for this, Luke? Rapid fire. Here we go. Shoot. <laughs> All right. You mentioned it a couple of times. Define the word spreads. Spreads can mean a lot of different things. You can have futures spreads. Uh, futures spreads are the difference between uh, two different futures months. So you could have a nearby futures month and a deferred futures month. The difference between those two prices would be a spread, a futures spread. Um, spreads uh, then can be used in the context of are they getting closer together, which would be narrowing spreads? Are they getting further apart, which would be widening spreads? Those things influence what you should be doing with your grain. Should we be storing it or should we be getting rid of it? Are we in a carry market or are we in an inverse? Break even. What is a break even? Why is that important? A break even is a number that tells you what it's going to cost you to basically cover all of your costs associated with growing a crop. What are the total dollars that you need to pay the bills? Somewhat related to that, and I think it's an element of it, is the term cash flow. What is cash flow? Why is that important? Cash flow would be dollars coming in and dollars going out. Uh, you need to make sure that you have adequate dollars coming in to satisfy dollars that are going out. The term logistics, when it comes to grain marketing, what are logistics and why do we have to manage them? Logistics would be kind of the operational setup, both for maybe the destination you're delivering to and your own operation. Uh, so that might be uh, grain quality, for example. Uh, part of your logistical plan is that I need to move grain in December because I have to get on-farm storage bins cored. 
I have to get grain pulled out of there to keep uh, the rest of the grain in good condition. And so uh, there's that piece of it. What's my transportation situation look like as part of that logistical plan? Do I have my own trucks? Do I need to hire trucks to get grain from A to B? Uh, that's an important part of it. Uh, weather plays into logistics. Uh, there's certain times of the year where that can cause problems. That can dictate local cash prices as well, uh, whether they're good or bad. If a destination needs more grain now because of weather or weather is really cooperative. So, uh, you know, the destination's jammed up with lots of farmers trying to deliver grain. So logistics can impact when you want to move grain. Uh, that can impact the prices associated when you want to move grain. And especially when you and I were talking about the storage situation at harvest, if you don't have enough storage, logistics really become an issue then, don't they? Yeah, your harvest logistics become important. Um, you know, how do you keep the combine moving if weather is coming um, and you have to go to town? That's something that's important uh, in getting trucks back to the field to keep, you know, to keep the operation going. And then also, you know, how does your how does your grain marketing plan fit into that again if, if you are a uh, storage deficit and you have to deliver grain at harvest time? You used a term in our conversation today. It was called cost of carry. What is cost of carry and why is it important? Cost of carry is the cost associated with carrying grain on farm or in a commercial elevator over the course of time. The biggest component of calculating that cost is going to be your opportunity cost or the cost of, of interest, cost of money. Okay. Any other fun uh, terms that you want to define, something that you guys use fairly regularly or anything like that? In terms of spreads and basis, this always gets confused. We talk about widening, weakening, softer, all tend to mean the same thing. Uh, so if a basis is widening, weakening, or getting softer, that means it's getting more negative and less positive. It's getting worse for the producer. The opposite of that would be narrowing, strengthening, or getting firmer. That means that basis is getting less negative and more positive. That's better for the you know somebody who's wanting to sell their crop. Uh, you can also use those same terms in context with spreads. We talked about future spreads. If you have a strengthening or firming or narrower spread, that means that the nearby month is gaining on the deferred. It's giving you less of an incentive to store that grain on farm. The opposite of that would be a widening, weakening, or softening spread, which means that the nearby month is getting worse relative to the, to the deferred, which means the market's giving you a bigger incentive to store and hold grain uh, on the farm or in a commercial facility. Luke, it's been great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Again, a lot of great insight, especially as it relates to marketing, whether you do that before the combines roll or after the combines roll, that is an individual decision. But again, what's the goal here? Give you the information so that you can make those good decisions uh, when marketing your grain. Again, that was Luke Beckman. He's Grain Sales Manager with Central Valley Ag Cooperative. This is Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Saklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Wojcicki. Our project manager is Bryce Duskett. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.